We first think about the culture that we create and the folks that are most likely to touch our products next, which are the sales teams and the specialty stores that we sell to. We then think about relationships and, and forming really long-term and, and thoughtful relationships with either retail partners, press partners, ambassadors, and telling a layered story of who we are, not just about a product. So here we had this dilemma, this, this fact. fact. I spent almost a decade researching this subject. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. Each week, we're talking to innovators and game changers who think outside the box and tackle problems that few address. What does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. I'm super excited to share with you my interview with my friend and awesome CEO, Amy Williams, CEO of Citizens of Humanity. I couldn't wait to talk to Amy about how she became what I call an accidental entrepreneur, how she started her career in fashion, how she feels about advertising, her advice on how to raise money for your own venture, where the name Citizens of Humanity comes from, and so much more. It's all on today's show. You don't want to miss it. So Amy Williams, so excited that you're here. Amy's also a friend of mine, so I'm very excited I'm that so you came to by to catch up and, and talk a little bit more about us. But I really, really wanted to talk to you too, just about your career, because I've been so inspired and impressed. And I think we met actually through... Uh, Lisa Wing. Yes, right? exactly. So Lisa Wing, great Marin yeah. mother that yeah. lives in my town. And so she introduced me to you. And I think we met over at Corte Madeira exactly. for lunch. A long time. I was it was like 10 years ago, I think. I was so inspired by uh, what you had launched uh, in the children's space. But I'd love to hear just overall, like, how did you get started in, in your career and fashion and a bit more about how you actually got to uh, citizens and, and uh, yeah. Perfect. So, uh, so it's funny. I actually like to think about it in two parts. First, how I really got started was my mother used to dress me in really hideous clothing, truthfully. And so when I could think about and when I started to think about a part-time job in high school and college, I realized very quickly that if I worked in retail, I could buy clothes with the money I made, but I could also get a discount and so I can get more clothes for that money. Awesome. So I started in sales back in 1980 something at Bloomingdale's in White Plains. I would get my paycheck, cash it as quickly as I could, buy some guest jeans and polo shirts and happily go back to school the next day. And then fast forward years later, I worked at Macy's while I was in college. I really wanted to get an internship, and Macy's was known to have the best retail program um, back in the day. And I applied, and I interviewed, and it was a pretty intense day of group projects and assessments. And I was happy to be one of, I think, 15 people or so to be selected. And during my summer there, I got the chance to work with a couple of people who really took me under their wing and let me do a lot of different things and learn both the program as it was written and also thought, things they thought would be really helpful. And so 
years later, they went to work at The Gap in San Francisco. And The Gap in 1989 was expanding rapidly and Mickey was at the helm. And they were looking for young people to come and join the merchandising organization. And I interviewed. The interview didn't go particularly well. Hopefully today will be much more relaxed and that, enjoyable. Yeah. But I was really—I remember just—I was being—I was really nervous. And what um, did you interview? I interviewed for an assistant merchandising position. I interviewed with Nancy Green, who runs Athleta now, and Bob Fisher, who's obviously one of the owners and was one of the founders of the company or the son's founders. Maureen Chiquet came on board as an assistant around the same time. But it felt it felt intimidating in a lot of ways and a little bit serious. And so I went back to my job at Macy's. I, I, I didn't get the, the position. And a couple months later, these two people that I had worked for said, you know, she was one of the smartest, hard, most hardworking people that we've met. Meet with her again. And so the second time, I think I was much more relaxed. I was probably more myself. And sure enough, they made me a job offer. So I moved out to San Francisco, 1989 in October. Four days later, big earthquake happened here. And um, I ended up staying with the company for 14 years. Wow, And it was an amazing, amazing experience. Great people, great team. And I think we all felt like we were part of something really interesting and exciting. That's awesome. So what was your role there? I was an assistant merchandiser in what was called women's bottoms, Mm -hmm. which was probably in this day and age, not a term. People people probably wouldn't use that. (laughs) Um, But very soon we were buying Levi's at the time. The Gap wasn't actually making their own women's jeans. I remember How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. 
And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Uh, Slowly but surely, we realized that was something that we should do and could do. And so over time, I moved into product development and design, and I ended up running the design organization for the Gap Adult Division, Men's and Women's, and Gap Body. And I left the company in 2003. And what caused you to leave? What was your... You know, the culture was changing a lot. Mickey had left, ah, I think, towards the end of 2002. A new CEO came on board, and he was very focused on operations, analytics. And I felt like less in touch with the customer and and less consumer-focused in a lot of ways. The organization started to feel like it was moving away from real collaborative efforts to very structured and kind of siloed areas of responsibility. There was a desire 
by that group to bring in someone to lead design that really came from a true creative background. And I was talking to them about moving to San Francisco. And I took a step back and thought, you know, they recognize that a change is needed in the design team. And I think it's an invitation for me to kind of see what's out there in the world. I, I never imagined that day was going to come. Yeah. And in within a couple of days, I actually put some feelers out and was offered an opportunity to go work at Lucky Brand in Los Angeles to run the whole retail division, which had a lot of financial responsibilities and exposed me to areas of the business I hadn't been exposed to. Most importantly, I got to work with Angela Ahrens, who upon Amazing. meeting her and, you know, five minutes, I was sort of like, whatever you want me to do. I didn't tell her, but yeah. I was like, I'll do it. And it was kind of a startup. I mean, it, it was, was still, yeah. Yeah, it was really, I mean, the company had 80 stores at the time, so they had grown quickly, but it was very entrepreneurial. The two founders was, were still with the company and there was a desire to keep the entrepreneurial spirit and be very focused on great product but to professionalize and to advance the way we thought about the brand. Ultimately, I ended up running the company for them and took responsibility for wholesale, e-commerce, and really looking at everything as a single, you know, sort of through a singular lens. And that was a great experience. I felt really lucky I met my husband and he was based in the Bay Area, so I needed to move up here. And I've been up in... Was he at Lucky? As well? He was at Lucky. Oh, that's mm -hmm. so funny. Yeah, he was so. running stores for Lucky at the Love time. Comes <laughs> exactly. It does. Oh. It's true. <laughs> As you guys well know here. Love either starts companies yes. or can... Yeah, it yeah. sometimes happens. So funny. And then you left Lucky. I left Lucky. I moved up to San Francisco to be with him. And he and I, with another partner, started Peak Aren't You Curious, a children's company. was just the cutest company. Thank you. They, you... You clothed all of my young children. You. you know, I love, still love that store. I'm Thank sort of, you. It's I've aged out of it. Yes, it's such, which it's such a great store, which happens. It finally made clothing be, you know, cool and cute and and you know not that expensive. Yeah, either. I mean, it was a real. It really was a labor of love. We would you know go on walks and sort of imagine our future. And parenting was very important to us. His children, my stepchildren, were very young at the time. And we wanted to do something and I think create a community and a message around parenting. And yes, it was about a product range, but it was also an environment that parents could come into with their kids and the kids could play or draw or color, or sit and read books and not feel like they were supposed to be quiet or stay at home while yeah. things were purchased for them. We really focused on like how the product felt and if a kid would feel like it was comfortable on them and they would feel confident and could express sort of whatever their style was. And so, yeah, it was really nice to, to work on together. Well, I think that that's the, like I look at sort of what you've done too and I always cite you as an example of like an accidental entrepreneur yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. That you did Very not. Much so. Like I don't think you intended, you know, you were at, gap for many, mm -hmm. many years mm -hmm. and doing super cool stuff and yeah. lucky doing very, very cool stuff. But I love the idea then that you saw this problem, yeah. this hole in the market. Yeah. And then you said, well, I'm just going to go solve the problem. Right. And I don't know that you sort of woke up one day and said, I want to start my own company. That's it was true. Really like looking at a problem exactly. that you solved. So I think that that's, you know, that's how problems are really solved. I was at a conference a couple of days ago and Jack Ma who's my new favorite person from you know yeah yeah of, of course was talking about small businesses and how in the last uh 
two decades that it w- it's really changed right. to be focused on you know, entrepreneurs that are actually coming in and solving problems in industries. And he actually talked about this, how most entrepreneurs are not actually, they don't wake up one day and mm-hmm. say, I'm going to go start a company. Right. Instead, they're like, there's this problem. Right. And it's really annoying. And right. I know how to go fix it. Exactly. And so that's what these companies are doing. And, and then he went on to say that a lot of it's on the internet today. It's that, exactly. You know, it doesn't really matter where it's, it's not about made in America or made right. in China. Right. Or, you know, it's really about, you know, made on the internet. Right. And giving people access to these cool companies because oftentimes they can't get the word out about the company in any other you know, in a traditional format with Hint, for example, you know, we go up against the large soda companies mm-hmm. for real estate mm-hmm. inside these grocery stores. And so we've decided we, we try and play mm-hmm. in that market, but right. it's hard to do, to do that. But we can actually control our own destiny by setting up a small store and then doing the rest on the Internet so that we can actually get consumers to recognize what we're really all about. Well, I think so. what you guys do, it's it's authentic, yeah. right? And and as you said, like when you think about businesses that you connect with, even walking yeah. up the street on Union Street, all these new brands, Casper for mattresses, we're just talking about Peloton, they're the same problems that you have, yeah. right? And you immediately feel a connection to them and an authenticity and a desire, A, to participate or purchase, but also B, to be supportive, right? Our kids, we have five kids, they all love Hint Water, and it's not because they know we love, (laughs) just by one. (laughs) But you know, it's not because Scott and I know you and and love you guys, but it's really because when we first brought product home, when you first, you know, sent us product, they liked it more than anything else. And so then wherever we go, when they see it at Starbucks, at Whole Foods, you know, at restaurants, they choose that above and beyond something else now. Um, And it's because the product is great, but you solved problems for us. I don't have to say, no, you can't have soda or no, you can't have lemonade. And that makes my life a lot easier too. And I find too, you know, that my kids, like they're getting older now, they're in high school, but they, you know, share the product with their friends. Right, exactly. Their friends end up saying like, oh, I know, you know, the CEO, right. or I know the founder, or right. whatever. And so then they tell their parents, mm-hmm. and then their parents, like, talk to other people. So it's like this this effect that goes on. That's exactly. Cool to sort of grow the brand, too, that is really, that's really, really great. So do you remember, like, what was your favorite experience along the way? I mean, outside of the one that you're doing today. Right. You seem very content right. and, you know, excited. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always... I always call it the ebbs and flows of business right. along the way, but it's uh, what would you say was your sort of favorite thing that you Such did? Such a good question. I mean, I think it, it, maybe this seems silly, but they're all favorites for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I think the gap stands out because when I think of my formative years, so to speak, and and what the team of people that I worked with meant to me at the time, they were really my family, mm-hmm. right? I started there when I was 21 years old, um, left there, I guess, when I was 34. And we traveled together. They had 
friends had babies. It, you know, I felt like I was going to say we had babies together. We didn't. But, you know, we I saw them birth their children. We grew up together. We realized what we wanted in life together as the years went on and the importance of a balanced life. And um, it was a very collaborative creative process. My husband and I talk about that a lot now, just the idea of layering on ideas. I learned I didn't need to be the author of every idea. And I got great joy out of bringing out over time the best in other people. And that was really, really gratifying. I think Mickey created a culture that was without ego. We never focused on one particular person in the company or highlighting any one individual. It was really about us as a team. And we felt like in a lot of ways, we were serving America. Like we had a same, like yeah. they had an, America had a need to dress casually. People were moving from wearing suits to work to at the time, seems dated now, like casual Fridays was a big idea. Yeah. And this notion of khaki pants or little black pants that could take you that anywhere. Really there was, yeah, yeah, there was a lot that came out of Banana Republic and accessible luxury and cashmere. I wasn't, I didn't work on banana, but it was a sister brand and Old Navy was, was born, you know, during my time there. And so I, I would say the gap probably stands out. I'd have to say lucky because that's where yeah, I met yeah. Scott and certainly what I'm doing now at Citizens. I think I have the same affinity for um, as I do Gap. I, mm -hmm. I see what great people when they work in, in a collaborative fashion can, can do together. And it's really, really enjoyable. How do you think, like looking back on that time, like how do you think you bring those ideas from multiple people? And, and you know, you talked about at the gap that there was no ego mm -hmm. and sort of where the mm -hmm. idea came from. It yeah. was really about collaboration. Like how do you think you get, you know, groups of people in the office without, you know, thinking about titles mm -hmm. or any of those things? Like how do you bring those ideas to be, you know, one to come that, together. You know, people feel like they can have a voice. Right. I think part of it is how you present yourself as a person mm -hmm. without taking yourself too seriously. I think you have to be a good listener. You really have to want to hear what someone has to say as opposed to thinking about what you're going to say next. Scott and I were watching an interesting documentary on PBS the other day about the music industry and the importance of the role of producer. And musicians obviously get most of the attention and you hear their output. But the producer really has this magical role of editing or playing up a certain part of a song that in some cases can make the song memorable or successful. And so I think going into the situation, you and I like to create an environment that says, this is, you individually are gonna be successful by being part of something bigger. And it also takes pressure off people. I think no one then feels like they have to be the one or they're expected all the time to have every idea because maybe their gift that day is actually executing someone else's really good idea better than the person who had the idea could have. And also balancing teams. Not everyone is great at executing. Mm -hmm. And as someone who I work very closely with likes to say, a great, a really good team um, with great energy can execute a lot more effectively than an amazing team who is just, it's fill, is filled with ego or wanting to make it about I them. So I think there's also, um, particularly with Gen Z coming up, mm -hmm. there seems to be 
a lot of Gen Z that doesn't aspire to uh, manage, mm-hmm. but they really want to do project-based work mm-hmm. and, and focus on getting something done and something that they're passionate right. about versus right. being judged or critiqued on, you know, how many people they can manage, how big of an empire, yeah. they just don't really care about that. So I think like the idea of being able to, you know, have a voice at the table, even if you're, you know, you don't manage mm-hmm. 200 people, right? right? You just are, yeah. um, call yourself a fellow or yeah, whatever, exactly. that, you know, that you're still part of the organization and able to contribute. In and way, I think so. there's a, and, and what you just said too, there's a beauty in that generation too, because they are very comfortable. I don't want to say dabbling because that minimizes it, but participating in a lot of different things. Yeah. And I think that's also very energizing when you when you say to people, take a walk or meditate for 20 minutes, or I really don't care if you start at 8.30 in the morning, because for you, what's important is that you take your children to school or you take your favorite yoga yeah. class and it's at that time. Those are all the things that keep us all fresh. I'm probably not the best at doing it myself, I, but I, 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 I think agree. that that generation or this generation is teaching us mm-hmm. that that actually does spark good ideas and quieting the mind mm-hmm. and moving from a place of always doing and checking off lists to a place of really thinking and incubating ideas is a very, very healthy balance. Definitely agree. Yeah. And it's so different. I mean, I remember hearing as a kid, you know, my dad got a job at, at ConAgra. He mm-hmm. worked in, uh, he developed Healthy Choice this uh, oh, yeah, yeah. years and years ago. But you know, when he graduated from college, he thought he'd go and get a job. And it was a very large decision because mm-hmm. he thought, I'm going to be there forever. forever. And then if you're not there forever, mm-hmm. then you look at people funny today. Yeah, exactly. Like people, you know, go and do other things. Sometimes they totally change interests right. you know, and sort of whatever they were focused on marketing at one point, maybe they want to go into sales mm-hmm. at another point, or, you know, maybe they get more into, you know, general management of, right. of something or e-commerce or whatever. So I think we're, uh, we're headed into a time where it becomes more accepting as an individual and how do those people um, flourish in organizations, even if they, I think it's really about knowing themselves yes, and which knowing is huge. what makes them happy. Um, so anyway, it's, it's stuff mm-hmm. that I've really been thinking about a lot as we start to build up this organization too. And what's so, I talk a lot about this, that my dad, it's I in was your DNA, five kids. And I think it's a lot of, I'm in the process, people laugh it. about this, but I'm in the process of writing a book too. You and are? So it's very therapeutic for uh, me as I talk through this because it's part of the question is like, how do you become an entrepreneur? Right. And I think like, you know, you look back on your you know, what's happened to you in life. Yeah, exactly. And I watched my dad be very frustrated, like never made more than $100,000 a year. Right. And so, and we by no means were poor. Right. But we were like middle class and uh-huh. it was fine and I got everything that I you know, right. wanted to get ultimately. Um, but it was like, I mean, the, they make hundreds of millions of dollars off of that product in, and he's working in That's a large so company crazy to think about. and he, you know, developed it with Julia Child. Oh my and God. I didn't know kitchen. that history. Yeah, no, it that was, was like, amazing. It's a crazy story. And my mom decided actually to go back to work when, um, when she was 45 and I had started kindergarten and she was an art history major 
and then she decided that she really wanted to go into fashion. And so we what lived is... in Scottsdale. And so she, there was a store called Goldwater's okay. in Scottsdale. It was sort of like Neiman Marcus a mm-hmm. little bit. And she started out as an assistant buyer. Mm-hmm. And then she decided what she was really good at, because she knew everybody around Scottsdale, right. was she was like the original personal shopper. And so she would call people and say That's this genius. incredible line like just came in and you have to come in. And so they loved just having her sit in this position, you know, being able to sort of say, okay, yeah, there's this person really likes this certain designer mm-hmm. and we should just have, let them have access to this Absolutely. designer before it goes out on the floor or whatever. And so people would like basically, you know, like get her into a meeting to show her all of like That's... the stuff before. And that's like, I think about like Stitch Fix now and like mode operandi. It's like the same concept, but just on a different scale. But anyway, so I remember being like seven years old in my kitchen and calling my mom on the phone and saying, dad has this lady (laughs) in her kitchen. And all I know is that they're drinking tons of (gasps) that jug wine that you have. And it was like, and they were creating... You know these That's ideas. It was amazing. crazy. So yeah. So anyway, it's a, it's um anyway it's a story in and of itself. That, that is they such developed. a great story. Yeah. No, they developed it and then um and then actually they laid my dad off um when I was in high school and they laid him off for not having an MBA and so this was the 80s. Like I keep thinking that this will be on CNN oh at some gosh. point, but if you didn't have an MBA during the 80s, then and you were, you know, in your 40s, then you were basically cut and you were allowed to be cut. And so I was um, a junior in high school and my dad like lost his job. How was that and, for him? And it was like, it was that crazy. Shocking. I mean, the, he was like, you know, he had great reviews all the way up till oh. then. And then we were all like, what? Right. Like, how could you lose a job? Like, right. you've been like, you ran a product, like, right. you're like the star. And, and so anyway, um, so he looked for a job for a year and all of his suppliers who primarily, so like 60% of their business was seafood. Mm-hmm. And so he had these seafood fishermen or the shrimp fishermen off the coast of Georgia who he dealt with and they all like felt really bad for him. And they're like, well, we just won't supply Conagra oh my with gosh. the shrimp. And so for six months they could not get access to seafood. And so they, and so basically they almost shut the brand down. And then my dad got a phone call and they said, okay, fine, we'll hire you back in. And, but you have to move to Omaha, Nebraska. So my parents moved to Omaha and I lived in Scottsdale and sold our house. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, anyway, it's a story in and of itself. I was basically on my own since I was 16, not because I ran away from home or anything. But, um, but anyway, I think like that time, like I look back on it and the trust of large companies mm-hmm. was something that I was like, probably skeptical. I of. don't understand. Right. Like you're like, you developed this product mm-hmm. line, you worked hard to suppliers. make it successful. Like, why would you develop a product for a large company? Right. Like, why would you do that? Right. Exactly. And he was like, he said he never had the courage to actually go out and start you know, start a company and, and anyway. Because so. I think often like you don't believe it's possible. Like yeah. I, it never, I've always liked working part of, as part of big organizations. And as you said, you know, didn't wake up saying like, I want to be an entrepreneur tomorrow. But part of it is like, you just don't think it's possible. You don't know where to start. Yeah. And I think even people like you talking about like 
oh, you have an idea and these are the steps that you can take and the steps won't be the same for every business or venture. Yeah. It must have felt now there are more and more entrepreneurs in the public eye yeah. that you can draw lessons from. But back in the day, you couldn't, you yeah, couldn't. You couldn't find it. Right. Well, and I think it, the other thing is, I mean, <laughs> in the case of grocery, he knew mm -hmm. that he got the space that ConAgra had negotiated mm -hmm. with the Safeways and mm -hmm. the public. So he didn't, that was a black box to him. Right. And so even when he was alive and I was starting Hint, mm -hmm. it was, um, I, I went to him and I said, how do I get Hint in Safeway? And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I think you talk to a buyer, mm -hmm. but that's all been like handled, handled for us. And so that next step you know like i think the the bravest entrepreneurs are the ones that actually don't let those walls mm -hmm. kind of get in their way mm -hmm. and are willing to go figure the stuff Absolutely. out so even though you worked in these large companies right i mean it's interesting because it seemed like you were open and you craved completely like what these other entrepreneurs were doing but it seems like your experience at lucky was let me go and work for a smaller mm -hmm. company where i can you know Absolutely. learn from like it still sounds like mm -hmm. you really admired, you know, Angela mm -hmm. absolutely. and sort of absolutely. what she was doing and then figure out, you know, potentially that learning mm -hmm. said, you know, okay, I can go do my own thing. Absolutely. Now, it did. Abs is, it definitely did. Yeah. And even here at Citizens, it's like, you know, because we had a founder who saw also a space in the market. He coincidentally, before he started Seven, was working at Lucky and wanted to start designing jeans that were more versatile and slightly dressier. And he saw people's lifestyle changing. Mm -hmm. He created something that was a category that didn't exist before. Like the idea of contemporary or premium jeans in America wasn't something that anyone had. There was no department for it. There was nothing. Yeah. And um, it, for me, working at Citizens, it is very entrepreneurial. It's, you know, team, small team runs the company and we're always thinking about who we want to work with, what's happening next in the market, what are the emerging markets, what are the new ways people are making choices, how do we connect with people. It is a very entrepreneurial environment. That's awesome. Which is fun. Very, very cool. So retail. Yeah. Like everybody talks about retail these yeah. days and I know you guys don't have your own stores, but you're within stores, mm -hmm. which I think is a, mm -hmm. you know, smart move in mm -hmm. many ways you're doing e-commerce yes, as well. Yes. Um, what do you think is the future of retail? I mean, where, where do you see, what are some of the trends that you see that are going on right now? You know, not necessarily just within, you know, jeans mm -hmm. and, and sort of lifestyle clothing, but just overall, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, you know, it's right now, I think we're all looking for things that are experiential and layered for lack of a better word, the retailers, I think clearly people spend time online, right? You walk down the street and a lot of people continue to look at their phones or engage more in the digital forum than even like looking at the people around them per se. But we believe and I believe that both digital and actually stores are relevant and they are supportive of each other, right? And, and people spend time in both. I think within the retail environment, People want experiences. They either want to go into a small specialty store where maybe they know the owner or there's a person that they're very comfortable with um, who sells them product or shares with them what's new and interesting where they can trust that the person will tell them honestly, you know, this looks good on you. This doesn't. You can talk about some occasion you might have coming up. 
So experiential can be as personal as that, or it can be walking into Club Monaco on Fifth Avenue and seeing a beautiful flower display and a book stand and some other interesting curated set of products Mm -hmm. that you didn't know were going to be there and maybe in two weeks are going to be gone. And for me, that's what's interesting right now. I think bringing different brands together and curating assortments in interesting places or bringing those folks together in in intimate environments are really interesting. And developing true and authentic relationships, when I think about partnerships that we've formed and relationships that we've built, all of them have that kind of experiential element to them and and segment. What brands have you done that with? It can be anything from a charitable organization like EMC, Every Mother Counts, is a group that we've worked really closely with. Exactly. And, you know, look, it's a personal... I feel very connected with the efforts that they're undertaking around maternal health, um, just having to do with my own challenges of getting pregnant and when I was pregnant and wanting to do anything that we can in small ways to make sure that other people are able to deliver their own child in a healthy fashion and both mother and child are safe. But it also can be with brands. Glossier is a brand that we've worked with recently with A. Goldie. And we might do an interesting collaboration where we reach out to the same audience of people and offer them insight into the brands or product launches or special product exclusives. We work in some cases with retailers, Diani living in Santa Barbara, to do custom products for them and reach out and have events in her stores. And on the other, you know, on a larger scale format, work with anthropology to host for Mother's Day a floral event where we arrange and offer bouquets of flowers along with a fitting event. So it's really like this, sitting across from a person and understanding like what's important to you and is there some service that we can provide that we and only we authentically can provide and bringing that together in a way that we think will serve a customer audience well. Very, very cool. I love talking about brands and collaborations because yeah. I do think that it's like the more I talk to other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. about this too, it's like you're allowed to make these collaborations very, you know, personal. Mm-hmm. So Glossier, I yeah. love their brand. I love, you know, obviously being a female founder too mm-hmm. and a mother, you know, what EMC is doing is yeah. amazing. And there's many other charities out there too. But mm-hmm. I think it's great that when I look at what you guys are doing too. It's very much about, like I see Amy (laughs) on this a lot, which is great. And I think it's okay for it to be Amy on there too. I think it's, it's, um, it's, I think the world is changing in that way where it's okay to make it more personal and what people care about inside companies and Shines um, through. Yeah. There's, you know, many, many, uh, you know, life is good Mm -hmm. um, is a great example Mm -hmm. of a brand that, you know, they love music and they right. care about music and they believe that there should be more music out there. And so they started uh, their own concert series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I've had, I've talked to the founder before about this and that really stemmed mm-hmm. um, out of his own interest in music. But then all the proceeds actually go towards a, uh, actually something health related. Yeah. It makes it fun. I mean, you spend a lot of time and I think the nice thing is if you sat with others from our team, you might feel that it's also a reflection of them. Like that's the nice thing when you start to put it all together, we share a lot of the same values and then there may be different projects that some of us shepherd 
along the way a little further than others yeah. based on our own you know personal interests and where we might see the opportunities we right now have a new project going with one of the design students at Central St. Martin and he's working so cool. with our creative director um, to do a product collaboration and it's helping finance him going back to school you know and he's a designer that's worked for a lot of amazing brands that are very recognizable but here he is wanting to be able to do this and we're helping make that happen and like that really feels good that's and awesome. when given the opportunity there's no reason not to do things like that that's that's so. amazing and it probably helps you to retain talent it does too, when you work with you know, in the individual and, and allow them to have a voice to say, you know, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, what's important to me. And I mean, here's a, a person running a large company that's actually listening and wanting to keep and grow talent in that way. That's super awesome. So the company is still based in L.A.? Still based in L.A. And have you thought about bringing it up to San Francisco? Or to we can't because of manufacturing. So we have everything in L.A. We have 722 was. people. Who work doing who make the product in Los Angeles Wow yes and so it's all made in LA everything for citizens is made in LA a Goldie which is like the newest brand and a bit more youthful in yep. terms of the aesthetic is made half in LA and half in Turkey okay and we have two people from our team who are Turkish by background who were moving back to Turkey and so that was part of the impetus they wanted to stay with the company but go um, in, in one person's case back home, she'd been in LA for eight years, um, was getting to the point where she really wanted to settle down and start a family wow. and wanted to be near her family. And wanted to go back. Mm -hmm. so, interesting. Mm -hmm. So, and did you, do you have a lot of immigrants working in, in the company? You know what we have, it's interesting what, at, at times we have a very diverse group of people in all areas of the business, whether it's creative talent from the UK, as I mentioned, where they're known for great design schools, to folks on the creative team that obviously grew up and went to design school here in the US. We have our COO is Italian by background. Um, the young lady that I mentioned had been in LA from Turkey for eight years um, and is now back in Turkey. And then Within our laundry and manufacturing facility in LA, which does total about 700 people, we have people from all over um, California. You know, they've lived in other places in the U.S. where they may have come from another country, and they've been working with us. The turnover is quite low. And they've been working with us and and sewing. Um, the awesome. products for as long as we've been in business in some cases. That's so great that you guys, are, it's primarily in Los Angeles. Yes. What challenges have you had, like whether it be with the drought or yeah. you know, any of these other, you know, unfortunate, uh, bigger global issues that yeah. are going on? What, like, what do you think about when I ask you that question? The... You know, we're, we're incredibly committed to working in California, even though it is challenging, right? And it's as much challenging because you know, over time, and this is a good thing, minimum wage has increased and we're trying to be mindful of making sure our products, while they're very, they are expensive and it's a premium product, there's still an understanding of the cost quality equation for our consumers. So as minimum wage goes up, we try not to pass that save that, that expense on to our customers. We try and think of ways 
to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so we invest a lot of money in machinery, equipment, et cetera, et cetera, that makes our process more efficient and continue to pay in excess of minimum wage to most and have always to most of the people who work within our facilities. The drought was certainly a challenge. And again, because we've always made investments in reducing water, reducing carbon footprint, and things of that nature, it wasn't anything that really hurt us or, or, or affected us dramatically. And just like every area of our business, we try and think in advance and ahead of whatever situation might you know, sort of present itself. What are the hot topics right now in sort of clothing manufacturing that people are talking about? Like, what are those? I think a lot of people are talking about bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. or migrating away from maybe some of the mass areas of production like China um, or some of the other countries in Asia. There's, we've seen over the years a real appreciation for quality over quantity. Um, and over the last couple of years, even our more expensive or the most expensive products from a range are selling better. We're just selling fewer units, slightly fewer units. I think consumers are much more aware of consumption. And so they'd rather opt for one really beautiful thing than multiple I think that's so you know, inexpensive yeah. things or shopping high and low, which <laughs> is you know how we all shop. So it's a t-shirt that's $10 with a pair of jeans that are extremely versatile that are $200. So those are the bigger trends that we're seeing. We're definitely seeing more interest and questions about our manufacturing and people being really intrigued by the fact that we manufacture in LA and being very surprised at what it takes to manufacture a pair of jeans. It's, I would love to come to your place. You know what, you, we no would idea. love to have you. Yeah. I mean, you go That's into awesome. the facility and it can take up to 18 hours. It's, it really is like hand tailoring with a great deal of attention to developing what looks like a, a mark that was made and you know, from where over the last 10 years. It takes a lot of work to do that. And it's all handwork. It's very manual. It's with teams of people that are very skilled at a certain and very precise, you know, type of treatment, yeah. so to speak, in the laundry. But it really is beautiful and fascinating. It's, yeah. it's very artisanal. Yeah. No, I would love to come down there. and that We would, would be, love to would have you. Super fun to, to come down. Very, very exciting. So what do you see in terms of global. I mean, obviously we talked about you're in the UK. Mm -hmm. How do you expand into these markets outside of the US? I mean, what advice would you give entrepreneurs who are looking at, you know, going into other countries? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the in the beverage industry, every beverage executive has told me entrepreneurs that have started companies have said, get it really right in the US. Yeah. And then look to expand beyond that once Absolutely. you get it right here. What, what do you think I would say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the way we think about it is let's first be our best self. It's mm -hmm. not about what everyone else is doing. And um, we like to be aware of other people either in the space or just in the industry or other relevant industries. But we would say the same thing. To be strong in the U.S. is critical and the most important particularly in this day and age when so much is visible online yeah. and people can learn about, explore and connect with brands in any parts of the world. Canada has been very strong for us and we've developed, I think, a very nice set of retail partners there and our business is sizable. And then I would say look for like-minded markets where the customer engagement is similar, 
the patterns of how people spend time and what they look for is the same. Mm -hmm. UK and Australia, I think, are very logical in that regard. And then most importantly, have great people who are willing to be very honest with you in other markets. Folks that say, you know, you could do X amount of business or, you know, I can introduce you to these 50 people may not be the ones that have your long term brand interests at heart. And we have the great fortune of having internal teams and one person in particular leading them who's extremely smart, um, very well educated and worked at Bain for 15 years. And he has the long-term health of our business and brands in mind. So we've built out Europe first, market by market and country by country. And as we think about Asia, which is obviously a market, we think about we've gone in there first with our relationship with Club Monaco and with a handful of partners who approached us, who know the American market well, have built beautiful stores and have a great operation. And now we're just starting to think about the best way to service that market. It's very smart. So So, I always think of it as like borrowing brand equity, mm -hmm. right? In those markets. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so many collaborations Mm -hmm. that a brand can do with Mm -hmm. that. So we've been thinking about the same thing. Like, you know, whether it's working with a store that's already Mm -hmm. in that market Mm -hmm. or, you know, just getting a better understanding of how you actually go to market. Absolutely. Like just showing up inside of you know, Paris and mm-hmm. saying, here's my store. Absolutely. So, what are your thoughts on advertising? Where do you, you know, see advertising as, you know, not just in your brand, but also just overall? Uh, so I'm very partial to brand building mm-hmm. and um, we don't believe in advertising in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. I believe. And we really believe that there are foundational elements of branding and they change, you know, each day and every so often. But for us, it's about first thinking about any place that a consumer would experience our brand and our products, Mm -hmm. whether it's at a specialty store and with those sales team members on our own websites in and with PR interactions, how our sales team sells the line. So we first think about the culture that we create and the folks that are most likely to touch our products next, which are the sales teams in the, in the specialty stores that we sell to. We then think about relationships and, and forming really long-term and, and thoughtful relationships with either retail partners, press partners, um, ambassadors, and, and telling a layered story of who we are, not just about a product that might be hot for a season and gone tomorrow, but really more the essence of who we are and how we like to think. We look at developing more personal relationships online or as personal of a relationship as you can. And we use the name of our company, Citizens of Humanity, to inform a lot of the work we do. We publish and really love collaborating on a brand magazine that we bring to market a couple times a year. The most recent one we had a guest editor for and we gave him complete creative license. It's beautiful. Thank you. We love it. It's really something that we're proud of. We love telling the stories of people that we admire and how they likely overcame some hardship or some difficulty and how they were able to work through that and sort of persevere, whether it's an artist, an athlete, an entrepreneur, a teacher, a philanthropist. And it's understanding that it's all of those kind of citizens of humanity that make the the world great and interesting. Well, and I think customers end up like remembering those stories too. And then they tie that back to your brands. Completely. Whether you're getting 
brand equity through working with a Club Monaco mm-hmm. or through, a, you know, an influencer who has, you know, a, a, an admiration for your mm-hmm. brand and they're telling their own story. I right. Think it works in the same way. So it's very, very cool. Very thoughtful. The name of the company came from Jerome. When he started the company, he had just exited Seven for All Mankind. And it was a brand that he developed. It was his one of his first, I should say, it was say it was his first brand. But anyway, Seven for All Mankind was a really meaningful brand to him. And unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, the partnership didn't work out. And while he was in some ways mourning the loss, he continued to think about product and wanting to bring something interesting and great to the market. And simply enough, he was actually watching a film and he saw actually in the film a patch that said it was a Liv Tyler movie with Ben Affleck. I don't actually even know the name of the Armageddon. And there was some patch that said something about humanity. And in thinking about like, now I want to make this brand more inclusive and really about people and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The name came from him in that way. And when he and I first started working together now, almost nine years ago, and I spent some time with him and the rest of the people on the team. One of the things that resonated with me and some others was like that really holds with a lot of weight in some regards. Like you really need to be thoughtful about what you're doing and your engagement and um, how you treat people and things of that nature. And so I think possibly what started out as just like a cool name has really turned into and evolved into a way of thinking and trying to like be in the world. And even though, again, you know, we sell product and many people think of us as like a fashion company, a lot of what we do and a lot of what we like to do outside of creating that product is informed by the name of the company. Yeah. Well, it's a brand with a purpose. Yeah. You have to stick to that, right? Exactly. So entrepreneurs always, you know, come to me and talk to me, (laughs) you know, not just about who I know that Mm -hmm. I can potentially introduce them to, but you've been with a lot of companies Mm -hmm who have raised money. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you tell yourself who mm-hmm. is starting your first venture and mm-hmm. you want to go off? Like, what do you think is sort of the best thoughts and advice on sort of raising money for your venture? Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things that come to mind. Number one, I think money is more accessible than people realize. Mm-hmm. And without taking this comment lightly, there's a lot of money out there. And my opinion and advice would be it's less about the money and who the money is attached to Mm -hmm. and who the people are because the person's going to be with you forever and they're either going to bring out the best in you or the team or have the patience when things get tough which they for sure will and it's that person who's going to help make your business successful or not not the dollars and cents that are deposited in the account when in fact the transaction is completed I would also say don't chase growth because as someone who I think of as one of my most important mentors and who is one of the founders of the company of citizens says to me, we deposit profit dollars, not top line sales. And I think a lot of people when they're in the fundraising process or in the process of making decisions on how to build out their brand, they look at what's going to look best on paper Mm -hmm. and they think about what the revenue 
growth is and how they're going to articulate that in future meetings. But at the end of the day, if your business isn't profitable, take a couple steps back and really truthfully analyze why that is and make some of the tough decisions to put you on the track to being there more quickly than someone else might suggest you should get there. We just hit profitability this year and it's congratulations. Like, it, it allows you to breathe. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to grow and mm-hmm. invest in, in growth, but it's, it's a, it's a big step. It's, and I think it's a, uh, it's such a key thing. You don't have is. to be profitable today. Exactly. I always tell people, you got to think about like, how do you actually get there? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, when there are tough times, exactly. it's a, um, and you have certain types of investors right. in, in your product. It's, it really are involved in, in the company. It's a, it's definitely not a fun conversation to have with people if they think, Growth, growth, growth. Exactly. And look, we've had the luxury, the way the company was started before I got there, the company was funded very thoughtfully and pragmatically. And so there wasn't a a heavy debt load. There weren't losses that were accumulating. It's always been run with that in mind. But I have been involved um, in other companies or seen other scenarios. And it can really be it can be debilitating. Yeah. And once you spend money, you can't get it back. So, you know, the only other advice I would give and the third comment I would make is be frugal, mm-hmm. you know, really be, be frugal about the decisions that you're making and be really thoughtful about where you want to spend money and what the truly most important things are. Um, because you can Smart. always spend more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's huge advice. So, and very much in line with how you I would say. speak to it as yeah. well. Thanks for coming on the show, Amy. You can learn more about the inspiring things Amy Williams is doing with Citizens of Humanity at citizensofhumanity.com. I have a huge announcement. I love giving away things that are so dear to my heart, like hint water. So for the next three months, I'll be choosing five lucky listeners to win a year's supply. All you have to do to enter is go to Kara Golden, that's K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N.com slash iTunes and leave a meaningful review for the show. That's it. And if I see you tweeting it out and tagging me at Kara Golden, you will increase your chances of being picked. And please be sure to spread the word with your family and friends. And thanks for listening to Unstoppable with Kara Golden. Thanks so much for listening to Unstoppable. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at karagolden.com. Until next time. Be unstoppable. Addictive nature of modern. Nutrition is important. Obesity and diabetes epidemic. <laughs>